Welcome to the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic Sean Patrick and Jeff Lasseter. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, IHateCritics.com, or on all the social media platforms, give or take. Our handle's CriticsPod. You can listen to us on most of the podcatchers, as far as I know, all of them. Uh, but please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show right review the show we'll read your reviews on the air we're on youtube i think that's still everyone's a critic podcast but uh we will work on getting that changed uh no matter where you listen to us please subscribe to the show hit the notification to let us let you know that a new episode's come out if you want to help support the podcast head over to patreon.com slash critics pod it's the best way to help us out there is a bonus, there's several bonus episodes up there, including a Friday the 13th commentary that we're going to bring to the live, to our regular feed on Friday the 13th. Uh, hold me to that. If it's not there, fire me from the show. Uh, and then we'll have, a, we'll have a part two coming to Patreon <laughs> uh, shortly thereafter. There's also several other bonus podcasts that have never made it to the regular feed uh sean and i I, have a bunch of music reviews up there i should mention we're the only ones with enough guts to go up against taylor swift on october 13th (laughs) (laughs) yeah and we're probably not going to talk about taylor swift on that episode (laughs) nothing against her i love taylor there's just there's no way there's just no way to, to even even for critics to get in to see that, and really nothing, not much for a critic to do with that. Well, so. what, how do you review a concert film? It's like yeah, you we're going to talk this. about a concert film in a little bit. We'll see how it goes. Then. I've heard about concert films before. It's just that I just don't see. Uh, there's not going to be an early critic screening for it, and trying to get into a regular screening, even for even for me, it'd just probably be impossible. So let's just run a theater out. Necessity of it. Can you rent a theater out and then charge for tickets? <laughs> I don't know. Because I bet we could make our money back and then some. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but that's for the upcoming episodes. Uh, right. Let's see, what have I forgotten? Oh, T Public, head over to IHateCritics.net. We have a T Public link up in the right hand corner if you want some of our podcast merch. Ooh. Yes, I agree. Uh, Sorry, I, I'm still bitter. I did. I put a new uh, thing up on my own T Public tonight, and I I just in the description I said I don't know why I bother doing this anymore. I made four dollars last month. Well, so yeah, someday when our listenership improves and we can start stocking shirts and shit and hiring someone to ship it out for us, but until that day comes, <laughs> we're stuck with that <laughs> company that doesn't even know we're bashing them. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sean, where can people read your reviews? Uh, you can find me on horror.media, geeks.media, and the archive blog is at seanatthemovies.blogspot.com. And Jeff, what do you got going on? Uh, well, last weekend I went to The Massacre in Chicago, where I saw my all-time favorite movie, Black Christmas, on the big screen. Um, sold a lot of artwork and... Had a lot of fun. It was uh, if if whenever you hear me talk about this stuff and you want to come, it's just it's people who love movies. Um, if it's a especially in October, September, October, it's a lot of horror movies. People who absolutely love that kind of stuff. If you're one of them, I encourage you. If you're anywhere near, to come and join them. Um, I did. I did. My horror show was uh, 
leaving Chicago at midnight to come back to the Quad Cities to do another show the next afternoon. Uh, got about three hours of total sleep. Um, and turning around and doing it again this coming weekend at the Drive-In Massacre in Shelbyville, Indiana, at the Skyline Drive-In. Uh, uh-huh. It's two nights. Uh, I'm, I'm going to share it on our Facebook page. Um, some of the movies that they're going to have, they're going to have the creature from the black lagoon in 3d with the traditional glasses, uh, which I'm super looking forward to. Um, they're going to have Friday the 13th part four, which one of my favorites out of the series, um, just got some new prints in today that I'll, I'll share with everybody here. Um, lots of movies like that. I will share that on the Facebook page tonight. And I hope to see if you're, if you're anywhere near there or you want to come out and go camping, you can camp for free at the, at the drive-in. Um, I am a princess, so I will be getting a hotel room <laughs> so that I, I can shower and sleep in a bed because um, that's one of my obviously gay traits is camping is a no-no. <laughs> and this, yeah, yeah. So um, they are showing, and this is like a big deal. Uh, my friend Joe, his favorite movie of all time is Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, which is batshit crazy insane, but a lot of fun. Uh, they've gotten the director of that movie to come out, and they're showing a very rare 35-millimeter print at the show. Um, I don't know for sure if uh, that is Joe's personal one, but I know he owns one. Uh, I'll have Hello Mary Lou merchandise, some Poltergeist merchandise, Friday the Thirteenth stuff. Um, so if you're interested in something like that, come and see us. I will um, also be in on the on Friday the Thirteenth and the Fourteenth. I will be in Ottumwa, Iowa, at Halloween Palooza at the Bridgeview Center, and um, one of the guys from Shaun of the Dead, not the main stars. I can't uh, the the chubby zombie guy. Um, Laura Park Lincoln from Friday the 13th, part seven, as well as Jennifer Benko, who plays the young version of her character. Uh, Tom Matthews from Friday the 13th, part six. And Judy Aronson from part four will all be there. Um, so I plan on getting my prints signed. Um, yeah, that's... And then I get to go to a convention just to go to a convention. I'm not selling at Scarefest in Lexington, Lexington Kentucky the next weekend. I don't have enough to do. <laughs> so come and see me hang out it'll be fun that's awesome so does it just really pick up this time of year i'm assuming with the horror cons or they kind of go year round don't they or is it they, just- they do go year round um i would if anybody wants to pay for my uh booth for days of the dead chicago in march i'm more than happy to take your money and give you some art um uh they're doing the days of the dead ones are year round. Um, I'm actually doing one in November in Chicago and there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on from September to the end of the year. And then some of the major cons like days of the dead, they go year round, but uh, it's mostly from like September to December. So That's cool. Yeah, do we need to start a Kickstarter or something for March? <laughs> well, I just got an email. They're filling up quick. You better get it. So I'm like, uh, does anybody want to buy any of my little arts? 
How much is it to do something like that? Unless you don't want to talk about it. Oh, no, no, no. Their booth is $375. Um, the first time I did it was three fifty. Now I, I probably will make that money back. I, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't. I did the last time I did theirs in twenty twenty one. You know, and I realize that the prices are. You know, they all say it's inflation. I don't know if that's true or what, but um, the prices to get into this stuff has risen. So. Yeah your margin gets cut down quite a bit. It's just being able to, if, if, if they announced the vendor um, booths for March during the show for in November, be no problem. I would just pay for it out of my, my proceeds there. So now we're just trying to figure out how to do that, how to do March because that's a good one. And it looks like there's going to be a lot of good guests. So Warwick Davis will be there, the Leprechaun, and Wicket from Return of the Jedi. They're celebrating uh, 30 years of Leprechaun this month on Hulu. Oh, I wonder if Jennifer Aniston's going to do anything for it. (laughs) I doubt it very much. (laughs) All right. What do we got news-wise to talk about this week? Uh, We mentioned Friday the 13th. We will have that episode coming out. Uh, Sean, you have a... You posted something on the box office you want to talk about? Just briefly, I'll just mention that Paw Patrol, I didn't see it because I don't get paid to watch kid movies anymore. Uh, Paw Patrol, number one, Saw Finish, number two. A lot of people were like looking kind of sideways at that. But uh, uh, the reality is that Saw did pretty well. It improved on the last three Saw movie openings. Uh, Not that Book of Saw doesn't really count because it came out just as the pandemic was ending and people weren't really ready to go back to movie theaters yet, so that movie opened under $10 million. I don't think you can really look at the opening of that movie comparatively. But if you look back to Jigsaw, that movie opened to around $13 million. Even Saw 3D did around 16 to $17 million. So $18 million for an opening weekend for Saw is a solid opening, and uh, I think people will just want to kind of... I think there are people out there who just kind of want to shit on Saw because <laughs> they don't like the Saw movies. So they're kind of pointing out, oh, be beat by Paw Patrol. The days of a $30 million Saw opening are a decade ago. So let's not let's not get it twisted about uh, what what Saw does at the box office. It's it's it did very well. And and it only had a $10 million budget. So with the international money, with the money that it made here domestically, it's well and truly a hit. We'll talk about that a little later. All right, let's move on to our new movies, and let's start with Stop Making Sense. Stop Making Sense is the 1983 concert film of The Talking Heads, directed by Jonathan Demme, uh, and back in theaters this weekend, courtesy of A24. It's incredible. Uh, I've never been much, I've, I've been kind of vaguely familiar with the music of The Talking Heads before, but... Watching this movie reminded me of how much I am familiar with their music. I'm much more than I thought I was. And David Byrne is just incredible. I mean, the the amount of work that he puts it put into that stage show was insane. Uh, it's really meta and different and funny and unique. And uh, you know, all their music is so incredibly unique and diverse uh, from various different influences and genres. Uh, a little bit of reggae, pop, rock, punk, like all over the place. But it all makes sense the way that the talking heads play it. 
Uh, I love this movie. I, I even got the chance to see this. There was one show in our area in the D-Box seats, which is the seats that move. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never seen a concert movie in a D-Box seat before. Uh, you know, Generally speaking, D-Box seats are kind of cool. Like if you're watching like Fast and the Furious or something, they move pretty good. This one moved the entire time, and it was like making you dance essentially in your in your seat, which is kind of made up made it extra fun. I loved the concert anyway, but I, I really also enjoyed just the ride because I was enjoying it in the D box seat. Uh, so that was really cool. There was only one one showing uh, in the D box in our area, so that was really awesome. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. I think this is incredible what A24 is uh, delivered here. The fully remastered and uh, just looks, it looks like it came out yesterday. That's how good a job they've done with this. See, you can only talk about concert films for so long. <laughs> well, if anyone other than me had seen it, maybe they'd be fun to talk about <laughs> I mean, not that it's, it still would be good. I like the talking heads okay. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know anything about this. <laughs> so not, I'm sure you told me, but uh. <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've always ever been really, like really familiar with uh, like the biggest hits, like, you know, burning down the house. Right. Yeah. At least that's what I thought until I watched it. And it's like, Oh, I, I've heard that in a commercial. I've heard that in a commercial. Yep. <laughs> I've, heard that, I've heard that performed by other artists. Like, yeah. Okay. I recognize this now. <laughs> It's very cool, though. I actually was going to try to go see it Friday night, but just traveling and all that, couldn't get to it. Yeah, I do. I do hope it does. Well. I didn't see if it. I don't think it made much money in terms of box office over the weekend, so I don't know how well it did. I don't think it even made the top ten, but uh, it, it really deserves a great deal more of an audience. People really should be checking it out because it is absolutely incredible. Well, the thing about A24, though, is they're more about the passion project. You know, they have their movies that make money, and then, you know, you get behind something like this because somebody really likes it. And that's what's really cool about them. Uh, rather than getting to see this, I ended up going out with friends that I hadn't seen in forever. And one of them goes, Have you seen Poe's Afraid yet? So that made my night. So I got to <laughs> sit and talk about that forever. <clears throat> Uh, let's move on to The Creator. The Creator, starring John David Washington and directed by Gareth Edwards, who directed Rogue One and Monsters. Uh, it tells the story of Joshua, played by John David Washington, who uh, is a double agent. He's uh, working uh, in in New Asia to uh, try and get to the creator, the person who created AI. Because in this universe, they developed AI. AI then nuked Los Angeles for whatever reason, and then the AI were like taken in in Asia and given a place to live and assimilated into new Asian society. But America still wants to kill all the AI. So they send John David Washington over there to get close to the daughter of the creator, Gemma Chan. And they, he does his job because they get so close that he gets her pregnant and they, <laughs> they get married. Uh, then, then she gets seemingly killed in a, in a raid and uh, he goes off the rails and, he goes back into the military at the behest of Allison Janney as a colonel who tells him that Gemma Chan is actually still alive and that she has created this new weapon, which happens to be a small child, uh, which he'll come to discover when he gets to New Asia. But uh, he's got to he's got to take care of this child or decide whether he want, 
wants to take care of this child or kill the child, uh, depending upon whose loyalty he's going for. Um, it's a great looking movie, and I think Gareth Edwards is pretty much the the classic carpenter director. He is not an artist. <laughs> he is not an artist. He is not a guy who invests a great deal of depth or emotion in what he does. He relies heavily on his actors, and sadly, John David Washington is developing into an actor who needs a strong hand, and he needs a director with a vision. Uh, he proved that he's a good actor in Black Klansman because Spike Lee had his fingers on him the entire time. The same goes for Malcolm and Marie. He proved to be, again, a great actor because Sam Levinson, say what you will about the guy. I know a lot of people hate him, but he, he's a director with a vision. And he had a very specific vision for, for Malcolm and Marie, and he brought out the best in John David Washington. Uh, but without a director with a, with a strong hand, he's kind of blank. He's kind of there. He doesn't have a life beyond. He just has uh, a very vague motivation to do what he does, and that's basically all that he does. And he doesn't deliver anything more that's on the, than, than what's on the page. And that, that absence of emotion, that absence of a deeper... You know, a deeper connection, a deeper story really dooms this movie because it is highly pretentious. It's a very pretentiously made movie. It seems that everybody making it thinks they have something to deeper to say, but they don't because the depth of this movie is basically that war is bad and accepting people who are different is good, which is a fine message. It's a fine message if you're a third grader. If you're... <laughs> Honestly, at a certain point, when he's walking around with this nine-year-old robot kid, I thought he was going to start teaching her about sharing. I mean, <laughs> that's the depth of this movie. War is bad. Accepting people is good. Fine. But you've got to give me more than that. Uh, and especially when your movie is pretending so much to be more than that. This movie isn't more than that. And while it's great looking and exceptionally uh, well-made, because Gareth Edwards is a fine carpenter, it's just not a satisfying film. That's disappointing because I really liked Monsters a lot. And even Rogue One's one of my favorite Star Wars movies, I think. Uh, it's I, not I, saying much. I like but... both those movies. I think he's great at he's great at spectacle. He's great at giving you like he created monsters that right. without monsters, you know what I mean? Like and he had two good actors who he could trust to deliver on that material that didn't require a lot of his attention. Yeah, the same goes for, for the cast of Rogue One. Good actors who are capable of giving you a little bit more than what's on the page, uh, delivering a little bit extra in that movie. But it's not, it's not necessarily a great Star Wars movie. It's a, quite a good movie, but uh, it's as good as Gareth Edwards can make it. Just better than like six of them. <laughs> but, <laughs> and John David Washington and Ballers is amazing. Oh, is he? I uh, yeah, I watched it years ago. I mean, I don't think everybody would like it. It's just a stupid football show with The Rock, but he was great in it. Uh, Jeff, any thoughts? Um, well, I have a lot of thoughts. I don't know if any of them are right, but uh, when I first started watching the movie, I was really, you know, I was into it. Okay, you know, so AI did what AI is eventually going to do and knew a big city. Um it all starts with your profile pictures on Facebook, people. Don't get it <laughs> twisted. That's not art. That's not art. Um, I thought it was it was beautiful, mm -hmm. but not beautiful in the way you know, like a 
like a sci-fi movie, like a Star Wars movie can be with, you know, places you've never seen before. It was, it was beautiful in that, oh, this is, you know, some stunning photography of real life locations with some added CGI. Uh, I kind of rejected the trope that the, the people who embraced AI were the poor Asian farmers who, you know, they made the point and they hit you over the head with the point that AI treats us better than Americans, <laughs> which is probably true. However, <laughs> right. I, if I, I heard it like a 50 times and trust me, I know how America is with imperialism and whatever, mm-hmm. but it was like, okay, we get it. We don't need that shoved, you know, in our face every five minutes. We get it. Mm-hmm. It was set up in the first, you know, like five minutes of the movie. Cool. Um, and also it was so, it was super predictable, mm-hmm. you know, like I knew from the beginning who the creator was, I right. knew exactly when, when they said, Oh, we're going to take you to the creator. I knew exactly what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I got wrong that was partially right in the end was, was that the creator was not AI. You know, it was. I was like, "Oh, wait, but they're AI, and then this is just their baby." And I also didn't quite like how <sighs> what you said about John David Washington needing a, a firm hand mm-hmm. is completely on point. Um, I think he's an okay actor, um, although I think his dad is a fine actor most of the time. Sure. Um, I don't, I, I guess, I guess what I'm like the shorthand for it is he's a Nepo baby. Um, wow. Okay. Because, I thought I was hard. Well, on <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the, the, I'm saying that's the shorthand. I think he's fine, mm-hmm. but unless if he was not Denzel Washington's son, I don't know if he would be in all the prestige stuff that he's in. Hmm. He might, you know, he might be on TV or whatever, but I, I think he's, John David Washington, Denzel's son, it lends a little bit extra for him. Um, I thought most of the performances were pretty good. <laughs> I There's the one character that just, I was just like, come on, do we have to have this? Was Alice and Janney's, you know, character literally breaking off pieces of the scenery and chewing it and then spitting it out because it was she was so evil i i just i mean like how often does alice and janney get cast as a badass army colonel though come on come on well <laughs> alice and janney is a badass in everything especially drop dead gorgeous she's the best character in that movie uh, but and i will watch her read the phone book i don't care but it was just like if, she, if I wanted that, her to have a mustache at the end to twirl it, you know what I mean? So I, it was just, it was, I thought it was going to be so great because I really liked Rogue One and I liked Monsters and it was okay. It was, and, and it, everybody's like, oh, well, I never saw it advertised. I, I go to the movies sometimes three times a week, and I've saw it before every single movie I saw in the last 
month and a half. So I don't know what people are going on about. Even I have seen that one advertised. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, you go to the movies like once every six months, right, Bob? Right now. <laughs> For your movie <laughs> podcast. Right. Um, um, the, it, it did, yeah. Yeah. In terms of the box office, it didn't it didn't do well. Uh, and it, if you go by the, the average, like the three times multiplier, it's coming up short domestically of making back its money, but internationally, which is what this is comes from E One Entertainment One. They're not the most reputable company when it comes to distributing movies. They they tend to just do product. So having a sort of what they're cons- what they consider to be a prestige movie, which they consider this to be a prestige movie. Uh, they, they've done relatively well with it internationally, and they're going to make some money on it. But that's about it. Yeah, I mean that's um, a bummer. Yeah, it's it's not a bad movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's just a movie that is not nearly as good as it intends to be. I think it's a movie that tries to adopt importance by you know naming a character Joshua from the Bible, and then having you know, baby Jesus as the as the uh, as the main weapon uh, against the you know the devilish um, military. I mean, it, it's very it's kind of cringy, honestly, in that way. But uh, it's trying to adopt importance that it doesn't have, and that's really its biggest problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I think prior to probably this movie, I don't know that we would have called him a, a carpenter. We probably didn't have an opinion one way or the other. We liked the two movies he did. Uh, John David Washington we thought was a good actor if not great and so I think a lot of stuff probably was discovered on this movie perhaps but I was kind of having this thought when he did that Netflix action movie earlier this year that was kind of mid what is that uh, I don't remember I can't even remember the title of it honestly it might have been last year it was a Netflix film with him uh, an action movie that he did and and Tenet kind of the same thing because Christopher Nolan is not a guy who loves actors as much He's good. I would say he's better at it than Gareth Edwards is in terms of getting what he wants out of actors. But yeah, you know, I don't think Tenet necessarily was a movie that John David Washington gives the strongest performance. He's part of the scenery and the spectacle, and I do think Tenet is a good movie. Um, but I do, I, I developed this theory during this movie, yes. But I do think this has kind of been trending in this direction because again, you can see him in Black Klansman being very, very good, in my opinion. And you can oh, see absolutely. him in Green. I think. That is an exceptional performance of Malcolm and Murray. And he's working with two guys who are writer directors. Again, say what you will about them kind of visionaries in their way. They have a very specific vision. uh, And I think he works well with directors who take a a strong hand with him. Gareth Edwards is not that he's a hands off. His actor's director. He wants to, he wants to direct his spectacle, his, his special effects, his big, you know, his big robots that's what he wants and he does that well the the robots in this movie the ai they look great they really do oh yeah it's it's a it's a gorgeous movie and it's got great special effects but it's a special effects movie mm-hmm. it, without a lot of heart to it it's empty spectacle yeah all right what about saw Saw X, directed okay. by yeah. arguably the best Saw director, Kevin Grudert. Uh, this is a, a, a taking us back in time to, I guess, a, it's a prequel of sorts to Saw 2, 
Maybe. Yeah, it's, it's, it's takes it between one and takes two. place between one and two. Uh, Jigsaw, uh, John Kramer has uh, traveled to Mexico to try and get a special secret treatment for his cancer. Uh, he's been promised by a character played by Michael Beach that there is this miracle potential cure uh, down there. He gets down there, he goes through the treatment, and then he finds out that it was all a scam. So, well, you don't try and scam Jigsaw because he's going to come after you. So he, gab- he grabs the woman who organized it, he grabs the guy who pretended to be the doctor, that pretended to be the nurse, that pretended to be the helper, and he puts them in his traps and sets about uh, having them try to save their own lives and teach them a lesson the way that Jigsaw does. And this is all relatively familiar stuff. But I did enjoy this because we get a lot more Tobin Bell than we've ever gotten before in a Saw movie. We've seen plenty of Tobin Bell here and there, but because Jigsaw is dying from cancer and and he's kind of, you know, he's dead, I think in the fourth film he's gone, um, we don't get a lot of time with him. Here we get a lot more time with him, and I really liked that insight into him because Tobin Bell is a terrific actor and he's lived this character now for nearly 20 years and he really has a, a strong attachment to it. And it's nice to see him get the opportunity to really act in the, within this character. And uh, we also get Shawnee Smith back, uh, which uh, you know character we lost in Saw 3. Uh, so I loved seeing her and her involvement in this movie. And add, it added to the lore. It stated continuity because not only did Kevin Ruder direct it, he also edited the movie, which he's done. I think he's edited nine of the ten movies now. <laughs> uh and uh, directed four of them or three of them now. Uh, he's just so good at creating the traps and creating the, the the sound design and the editing is so strong. He's so attentive to the lore and the detail that I found Saw X uh, to be very satisfying in that way. Jeff, I this was my favorite movie of the week. <laughs> <laughs> I felt more. In the beginning, when I thought that he was going to be helped by these doctors, then I did through 99% of the creator. Um, you know, say what you will about somebody who is essentially a serial killer who never lays a hand on somebody, <laughs> but lets them choose their own fate. Um, but he's a likable character. You know, he's doing things for the right reasons, not necessarily the right way or even the ethical way, but you feel for him. And Tobin Bell really brings that to the screen, um, especially in this one. I mean, I've, I've been kind of rewatching a little bit. And then when I heard it was between one and two, I'm like, I don't have to watch all of these right now. But um, I, I think that he's he's got a real like caring to his character um he truly believes that he's doing this for everybody's best interest uh that can be a little you know eh, maybe not so much in in this movie because he is exacting a sort of revenge by people who have wronged him whereas in the other movie it's they've wronged other people or themselves or, you know, something like that. It's never been really personal. And this time it's personal. Oh wait, that's Jaws five or four <laughs> or whatever. Um, but, you know, he really, he really, he 
comes across as one of the most sympathetic characters in a horror movie in a, in a long time. Um, and that's strictly based on Tobin Bell. Um, Shawnee Smith also, uh, there's, I gotta, wait, I gotta get this off my chest first. Okay. Shawnee Smith is 54 years old and she is playing a 34 year old mm-hmm. in this, I think because the, the first one she was in was 20, almost 20 years ago. For God's sake, do not put a 54 year old woman in that fucking wig and not. And don't try to make her play a 34-year-old without some sort of, like, face mapping technology. The whole I was taken out of it every time because they put a filter. They, you know, they do that, like, Vaseline on the lens, like, Elizabeth Taylor filter every time she, like, becomes in focus. And it's very distracting. Um, I know this is supposed to take place 20 years ago, and it's just, it, at least let her have a decent wig. This was terrible. Um, that being said the one of the characters who is caught in the traps that john sets is a former drug addict and you can really see in her performance because that was her she was in one of the traps because she was a drug addict and he wanted her to change he wanted her to be a better person um and to give up drugs and make something out of her life and she did she did. Mm-hmm. Um, she's always been kind of a, a loose cannon in the Saw movies. And, but seeing her really empathize with the drug addict character and, you know, kind of delay her fate was really nice. It was, you know, it was true to her character and true to her motivations for helping John do all this stuff in the other movies. Um, I honestly, I, you could tell a hundred more of these stories between one and two. If, you know, Tobin Bell wasn't in his eighties and she wasn't in her fifties. <laughs> right. Know, unless you're going to do like de-aging. Um, <laughs> honestly, I mean, you're, I know that saw is low budget, but <laughs> you know, take some of that budget and, and do something better than just soft focus. Every time she's on screen. I was um, just happy. Back. I didn't. It didn't bother me much. I what just if they just did the wet hot American summer approach? <laughs> you know what? Not even try. <laughs> I, I, I mean, honestly, would have. I would have been less distracting if they just let her have long hair. Um, but that choppy little Gale Weathers and Scream Three wig was just. I know that that's how she looks in, in Saw Two, but they don't. They don't say when she cut her hair and chopped it all up like that. So why couldn't this have, why couldn't she have had long hair? And it would have been less distracting. <laughs> so, but her motivations were great. She, you know, I love Shawnee Smith. I liked her since the eighties. Um, so yeah, I, I really, really liked this. This was my favorite movie of the week. Uh, and in large part because of the, performances of tobin bell and shawnee smith that's it, cool uh, it, it ranked it, it, i did a ranking and i don't expect anybody else to do this because it's you know, i i watched a lot of saw in the last week rewatch did a big rewatch and so i did it i did rank all all 10 saw movies it's up on our facebook page the, the link is there if you want to read my ranking i ranked this one number five 
out of the uh, ten, out of all ten uh, Saw movies. So it, it, I think it's really good. Nice. Because I've liked all of the Saw movies <laughs> except for Jigsaw. Jigsaw is yeah. the only one I yeah. didn't like. I kind of after three kind of lost interest, uh, but I do think it's neat because if I if I'm correct, part two is actually a different movie. There are a different script. And then Lee Wanell took that script and made it a Saw script. So it's cool that they did that and were able to, you know, kind of make a prequel around that movie, too. Uh, yeah, he's really good about, like, retconning stuff and, you know, inserting things here and there to make them, yeah. like, fit together. So. Well, like I said, uh, don't forget Kevin Gruder uh, being the editor. I mean, he's been yeah. the steward. He's been really the steward of this franchise throughout. Are one and three your top two? Uh, three is my number one. Okay. And then number one is my number two. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> mine too. <laughs> yeah, three is freaking amazing. We'll get there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our classics are all the Saw movies. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we'll go back to. Uh, the original Saw 2004 with uh, Carrie Elwes, Danny Glover, Lee Wanell, uh, directed by James Wan. Uh, such an exciting movie. Uh, yeah, they debuted it at Sundance and it started to build a lot of buzz. And once you actually got, you, you were like, the anticipation was very strong for it when it arrived. And uh, it, it delivered. It delivered on all of the, the, the buzz that it built up. Uh, this movie was really good. I mean, it's really, it's really just a solid jumping off point for a for a franchise, for a very odd <laughs> franchise, um, you've got this, this central mystery surrounding uh, Doctor Gordon and uh, Adam, Lee uh, else character, who's such a jerk and douchebag. And the way that they reveal him slowly throughout is a, a really great piece of, of writing. And you know, Lee Wanell's not typically not typically an actor, but he delivers so well on the beats that he needs to deliver on that it really works. And then, of course, he's working with a pro. Like Carrie Elwes, who just at the time he'd not been making much, he'd not been working very often. He'd been doing a lot of stage work, and you now here's Carrie, Carrie Elwes suddenly uh, from from the Princess Bride is now you know chopping off his own foot to escape from a serial killer. It was like it had just so many weird elements that really worked. Uh, but it's the ending of Saw that will always make it so memorable and so incredible. The way that that score builds. And the way that that last moment when he grabs that saw and he ties off his leg and he starts, you know, bite, just, just biting his way through, just, just sawing his way through his leg, the score builds and then he drags himself out of the room and then Jigsaw stands up. You're like, just, just one mind-blowing thing after another. And that score does not get enough credit. That's been in my head for a week now. And it just never goes away. And it just the, the way it builds those those strings are so phenomenal. Yeah, I've told my saw one story a million times, but uh, it's been a while since I've told it, so I'll tell it again. Uh, I saw it in a packed theater, and the crowd would not shut up. The audience talked the entire time. Had me convinced the acting was horrible. Like I was hating everything about this movie. And everybody was laughing and just, it would not be quiet. And then when Jigsaw stood up at the end, they all shut the fuck up. And <laughs> made for a really, really cool experience. I still thought at the time it was a bad movie with a cool ending. It wasn't until 
I think when we first did this, you know, went through all the Saw movies with Josh way back when, that I was like, oh my God, this is nowhere near as bad acting as I thought. Because I didn't want to go back and watch it and ruin the experience, uh, but it ended up actually being better because I still had the experience and I realized it was actually a much better, much more well-acted movie than I remembered. Yeah, I, I also saw it in a pack theater. Remember pack theaters? Um, <laughs> and I was kind of spoiled on it a little bit before I saw it for the first time. Um, but I was like somebody like who was spoiling it kind of spoiled the wrong stuff and wasn't really being truthful. So I was surprised by the end of it. Um in that moment, yeah, I remember everybody just kind of being like, oh, shit. He's been in there the whole time? What? <laughs> yeah. So. And it launched the whole torture porn. <laughs> Got, uh, I mean, obviously it survived it and gone on longer than the whole genre. Because it was never, it was never torture porn. I'm yeah, sorry. Not, I, don't, I, don't I, think, I don't think it's torture porn. Throw that porn. label on it. But it was never really torture porn. I mean, it's as torture porn as corn was new metal. I mean, they're just kind of the first ones. Uh, I mean, it's, I don't know. Really, only Hostile was the truly <laughs> torture porn movie. that Because that's a guy who yeah. enjoys watching right. human beings be tortured. Uh, <laughs> Lee Wan Allen James Wan didn't enjoy watching people be tortured. They merely presented it. Yeah. And there's a difference. That's an important distinction. But it was there. Just maybe not the porn part of it. It was definitely torture. But in a more artistic way, you're correct. And that, that, that matters. That matters. It does. Uh, so we'll move on to Saw 2. Uh, Saw 2 uh, from uh, 2005. And, you know, this is the one that kind of sets the, sets the template for everything going forward. Uh, you don't get to the rest of the Saw franchise without going through Saw 2. It, it's like the schematic for the rest of the Saw movies, uh, which is why I think it, it ranks kind of low on my list of the of the Saw movies. I ranked it number eight overall, but I do like uh, Donnie Wahlberg uh, in this movie. I, I think Donnie Wahlberg was a smart casting choice. I think he's got just he's got a recognizable face. He's got a strong uh, intensity to him, and his scenes with Jigsaw are the best things in the movie. I think the movie falls a little flat in terms of the. The stuff that's going on in the house uh, where where Mark or Donnie Wahlberg's son is uh, and where all the people are going through the various different saw traps. I think those kind of fall a little flat aside from Shawnee Smith falling on those needles, which is still like very hard to watch for me. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a good one. Uh, but the rest of it just, just didn't kind of resonate with me, especially those those characters didn't really resonate with me. Uh, but I did love I love the ending. I love the way that 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 Donnie Wahlberg's attributes as a, as a as a cop. He's so hard-headed and determined that he's going to crack this case and it makes him a good cop, but at the same time it makes him a terrible person for this situation and that's what bites him in the ass. And that's a again another great ending. When I mentioned it earlier that this was its own original story that they converted into a saw movie. Uh, generally I would hate that, but, uh, uh, it, I think it's kind of neat here. And like you said, it's where the rest of the series takes shape. Uh, and you kind of need it to move on to the next level. So 
I like it for that, but I agree. It's overall, it's not one of my favorite Saw movies. I just, I like, I, I like that ironic ending, you know, that he's been there all the, the whole time in the same room, but people are too stubborn to just listen. They, you know, it's like Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back. You know, no, I got to do it now. I got to do it now. Give it to me right now. And if you had just waited, it all would have worked out. Mm-hmm. So it's, I really like that part of it. Yeah, it's, re- it's really clever in that way. Uh, you know, just, just finding out that all he had to do was listen to Jigsaw. Jigsaw yeah. tells him at the very beginning, all you have to do is sit here and listen to me. And he can't do it. He just he can't do it. Uh, it, it really just makes that ending so powerful and tragic. And you know, it sets up the, the Matthews character to, to recur uh, a couple times to to uh, in, in in the rest of the franchise, which I, I really like. Uh, but speaking of what I really liked is Saw Three. Saw Three is incredible. I mean, this is one of the most intense movie experiences I've had in my entire life. This movie kicks off on the death of one of the of the detective who was with uh, uh, Donnie Wahlberg. Uh, she gets uh, got very early on and. The movie just never slows down after that. It introduces Angus McFadden, and we get our first real sense of Jigsaw's philosophy because he sets up this series of encounters in which Angus McFadden is playing a guy who still has a daughter and a wife and a life that he could be living, but he's obsessed with revenge. So Jigsaw is going to show him what vengeance really looks like. He's going to see first the judge who failed to sentence the man who killed his son. He's going to see uh, the witness who failed to show up in court to testify against the drunk driver who killed his son. And then he's got to confront the drunk driver. and He's got to make a decision each time. Either he's going to take his revenge and give away a piece, another piece of himself, or he's going to save them. And again, give away another more specific piece of himself uh, to be a better person. And that is such a great idea for a horror movie. But then he's got this twist that he's building towards. That that you never that you would never expect, uh, and it's such a great intersection that comes together at the end, rather brilliantly. And again, has another wonderful payoff two movies later, which is I just love the the level of detail and lore is what really draws me to the Saw franchise. And so much of the detail and lore comes from this movie. But a lot of what's really great about this movie is just that intensity, and especially it comes from I think first of all the the drunk driver in the movie is in one of the is in arguably, I think, the greatest saw trap of all time because it's the one that I can barely sit through. Uh, it's the the sound design in Saw Three is is scarier than any visual he puts on screen, and that is saying something. Uh, the the bone cracking, the blood dripping, the muscles tearing—it sounds so horrific, and that really affected me. Yeah, when you close your eyes and then you have to imagine what's what you're hearing is even worse than seeing it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, right. Yeah, this is far and away my favorite Saw movie. And, you know, you mentioned that movie earlier, The Creator, and how the ideas are so simple and almost empty here. It's the same, you know, it's be a good person as the message, but it's so intense that you never have the chance to you know you you buy into it the whole time you're just invested you never get out of it you're never pulled out of the movie because of that intensity uh and 
I, this is the one I go back to. This is it's so good as probably why I kind of fell off after this because <laughs> this one is a very high bar. Uh, but I absolutely love this one. Yeah, same. I don't have anything to add. Do you guys? <laughs> <laughs> is this your favorite, or is or do you have a different? Is number one your favorite? Jeff? Um. I, this I like more than one. I could one is once you've seen it, it's spoiled so that you can't really right. Um, like the sixth sense. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's never the same after right. you've seen it again. Mm-hmm. So, right. so yeah, uh, I, I like this one better than that one. Saw four. Uh, Soft four from uh, what, was, what year was this? I can't even remember now. Uh, anyway, uh, Soft four picks up the story of uh, Detective Matthews, uh, Donnie Wahlberg's character. We're still looking for him in the fourth Saw movie. We're still wanting uh, Detective or Officer Riggs, uh, one of the guys who worked with him in Saw two and is also part of Saw three, uh, is now tasked with trying to save him. Uh, he's got to go through all of the various different Saw trials in order to get to where matthews is and uh of course jigsaw in this in this point is dead he died in in saw three and uh we've got uh detective hoffman played by costas mandalore which is a tremendous piece of casting he's got a a recognizable face you know he's got a he's also just easily he uses sleaze he's just so sleazy (laughs) and it works it works for this character um and he is essentially now the with it with the death of uh, Shawnee Smith's character, and of course Jigsaw's death. He's now the main, you know, protagonist here. Uh, but he has set up all this this uh, trial, this this Jigsaw trap series to get to Matthews, and to also create a sort of a an alibi for himself that turns him into the hero going forward. Um, and and it's really clever. I I don't think it's as accomplished as as Saw One or Saw Three. But it is better than Saw Two, uh, and I I do like the the pace of this. I like the idea of what Rig is doing, and he's being tracked by uh, Scott Patterson's character, the the FBI characters who are tracking him. Uh, very smartly used to establish what we're going to forward to in Saw Five. So it, it's a good, it's a transitory uh, episode, but it, it's a good solid entry. I I don't know I. I knew the guys that got hired to write it. They were from the Project Greenlight, the one season I watched. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so immediately I was kind of against them. They're also the guys who had that Collector movie uh, or series, which I think is terrible. I thought these, I thought four through six were a little more convoluted and harder to follow. Uh, or at yeah. least they didn't keep my interest like three did. There's a lot going on. They're pulling from other movies. But I don't think they're as good a writers as uh, you know the guys from the first three, uh, and I, I just I don't know I started to lose interest after you know starting with this one. Yeah, same here. Five. Good addition, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like it you have you. It was as you go on, it's harder to keep up with who people are and where is this person and oh, we're going back to this one. 
but I don't remember that one, so I have to go back and watch it again. Right. You know what I mean? And that's that's where I I I also I was kind of like, okay, I I I can't I have to like take notes every time. And it's that makes it really really hard for me. Um and that's why I started I also started to lose interest in the series for a while. So well, is that a better addition? <laughs> well, <and laughs> yeah. they're, they're not particularly fun movies to watch, you know, like some of the right Friday the Thirteenth or Nightmare on Elm Street movies. These are harder. I mean, they're they're legitimately scary. They're well thought out, uh, but as they get more convoluted, it was harder for me to stay interested. Uh, the only one I really ever want to rewatch is three. Otherwise, I, I just don't really go back to Saw. But have fun with five through ten as we finish the show up. <laughs> we'll run through well, them. We can run through them very quickly. But uh, yeah, so, of, go ahead, Jeff. Sorry, I was just going to say part of it, like as from five on, it's you have to think about it, and it's not something you can just have on in the background, like a Friday the Thirteenth movie. That don't they don't really have very many connecting tissues. Like these have interconnecting tissues, and you have to remember part two that one character from part two who was in part seven and you know what i mean it's so that's why i'm i'm kind of the same way with it with bob as bob so but, but i also don't hey, think four bob. through six are as interesting either which is why i am not interested in figuring out you know trying to remember who the characters yeah. are i guess what you guys call convoluted i call lore because i love the lore of this and the lore really works for me and i i'm i'm kind of invested in it the way that you know people invest in tv shows this is like a great tv show to me uh and i don't find it i don't find it hard to follow at all especially when especially when we're we get to five and we're dealing with the cat and mouse between hoffman and strom i i really like their that dynamic uh with hoffman being you know always constantly on the edge of being caught and strom being strung along and framed uh, by the end to be the new jigsaw. I really enjoyed how they, how they did that, how they pulled that all together. And, uh, you know, it also, again, setting seeds for, for saw six as well, that come back around that have some really wonderful payoffs to, to, throughout the other parts of the series. It, it really, I find the saw five is, uh, it, it deepens the lore and it also expands upon, upon these new characters to, and and still connects them back to Jigsaw and back to Tobin Bell and Tobin Bell is still showing up. They're still using flashbacks to to keep him part of this story. And I, I love the way he still is brought back into it. I, I think it works. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't really honestly. Four and six might as well be one movie. <laughs> That's kind of they're just a jumbled up mess for me at least my memory of them and i've gone back a couple different times uh but i just kind of always refer to them as four through six because they're the same three writers or two writers uh saw six i love saw six uh saw six is one that really really works for me and and i think a lot of that has to do with the uh, with the victims in this one because he's this is set in the in the world of shady business deals especially shady insurance uh agents who make it their job to try and figure out a way to prevent people from taking advantage of of claims they try and deny claims uh they're very corrupt they're very gross and they one of them the head of the comp, head of the insurance company makes the mistake of gen, of denying a claim for 
John Kramer, Jigsaw, and thus he and all of his associates get pulled into saw traps. And the idea of this sort of, you know, vengeful justice against this corrupt insurance industry is, you know, very appealing to me because I do feel the insurance industry <laughs> is evil and deserves some saw traps. So, you know, I <laughs> uh, couldn't be more on the nose if it were politicians at this point. But I mean, <laughs> it's fine. It works. I want to see that vengeance. And I, I love the ideas that they came up with for the various traps. I like the merry-go-round with the shotgun. It's very simple, but you know, forcing that guy into a situation where he's got to pick two people to live and four to die, man, that's, that's severely fucked up. You know, put it, he's got a situation where he's got two very innocent people. And he's always, you know, he's an insurance guy who came up with this theory about, well, this person has more of a chance to, to live a long life than this person. So I'm going to give the, uh, the insurance claim to this person and not this person. Uh, he's forced into a situation where here's an older woman, but she's got a family. Here's a young guy, but he has no family. Who's more valuable to their family? He's got to make that decision. And one of them's going to die. Uh, that's horrific. It, it's terrifying. It's, it's like the trolley car problem. It's it. Yeah, it's exactly. It's, it's very challenging in that way. And I, I really dig that. Uh, I, I really enjoyed all aspects of this one. Now that you start talking about this one, I kind of remember this one a little better than four and five. I, I guess our problem with this one is a little too on the nose. It's kind of like when a pro wrestler comes out there and just starts shitting on the local teams or the local town sports team. It's just easy. I mean, I agree. You want to see insurance because they're awful. Uh, but I also think it's almost safe and kind of cheap. In some ways, well, I think also that the the, the budget starts to show as the yeah. you know as you get into some of the other ones, uh, you know the later ones, because um, you're getting into the lore, right, Sean? Uh, <laughs> but you're not able; they're not able to like put some of the money that they've made on the other ones back into it. It's more, it you know, it they all all of them look about the same, um, and you know everybody's a little greasy, a little grimy, a little dirty, uh, and this the new one is no different. But it shouldn't. I I feel like they could kind of up the stakes a little bit sometimes with them in general, uh, and do something with all that money. <laughs> You're making all, all right. these things. And I, I mean, I don't, I'd almost rather they wrote all the Saw movies at the beginning and then made them until they failed, you know, but had to, yeah. the fact, I mean, it's kind of like the Marvel movies where after a while you got to try to connect all these movies and that's where you start to lose part of the audience. Obviously they didn't lose Sean, so they're doing something right, but they lost me. <laughs> But at the same time, one and three are so good that I still say I like the soft franchise. So it's, I don't know. I, I, get, that. I don't see them straining to make these connections. I think these connections are, are, are well made. And, and really what works about this is that you know, the lore stuff is there, like Costas Mandalore and, and um, oh gosh, I can't remember her name now, Jill Tuck, uh, Betsy Russell. Uh, they, have a, they have a terrific, you know, dynamic uh, that that ties back all the way through the franchise that, that that really works for me and that's really the only element that is calling upon you to remember anything is the times when you're having hoffman versus jill 
and, and that's a good dynamic for me. But there, but, but most of the movie is about you know that insurance sales, that insurance CEO being forced in this situation where he's got to take what he does on a daily basis and actually apply it in real life or death situations. And I thought that was very clever and very well executed. What's the next one? Saw seven, the final chapter, <laughs> because they all, all horror franchises have a final chapter. That's <laughs> always part seven. It's always that. Uh, but uh, saw seven uh, is another one that's incredibly, you know, intense and and kind of clever. Uh, especially the first, the opening kill uh, with the the. There's three different saws. There's two people on each side, and this time it's in public. So it's like in this window presentation. You've got one guy on one side, another guy on the other side, and then there's a girl on top, and she's got her own saw that she's going to fall on unless these two guys decide, you know, I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to kill you. And she gets to live, uh, and it's it's intense. It 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 doesn't. It's relentless, and that's a great way to start. And the movie really kicks off in a very hardcore way. Uh, you're still dealing with Jill Tuck and Hoffman. Hoffman having survived a very serious trap at the end of six uh, to come after Jill in seven, and uh, really lots of intensity between in that relationship that's building towards a a really serious horror kill. Uh, there are a couple of really big, gory set pieces in this that that really work. I think this is one. This one does kind of lose the the thread a little bit that was built up through the first six movies. Uh, I don't like that uh, Jill Tuck goes out as she does because she was a really good. Uh, Betsy Russell's a really great actor and a really great character in this franchise. I didn't like having that happen, but I do like what happens to Hoffman. So that that does work. So I think this one's really good. Is this the 3D one? Yes. And it still kept those uh, Project Greenlight writers around for this one as well. Uh, I vaguely remember this one. (laughs) (laughs) Gary Elwes comes back. That's awesome. Yeah. And how long? The story is uh, that Sean Patrick Flannery is playing an author who claims to have survived a jigsaw trap, and he's trying to cap- He's been capitalizing off that with a book tour and talking about how he survived and what it meant to him. Uh, and then, of course, he <laughs> obviously Hoffman and doesn't like the fact that this guy's been taking advantage of Jigsaw's legacy. So he draws him and his you know group of people into the saw traps. And good, good idea. That's a good idea. It, it's executed well enough. What's the next one? Jeff doesn't have any thoughts on software. <laughs> you know what? I I, the, I did not get to this one again this time. I just mm. I didn't get that far. Um, trying you know trying to cram them all in at once was just impossible, sure. and still get to the new one. So sorry. Is Jigsaw right. the next one? I, yes, Jigsaw, then Spiral, and then Ten. Also, oh, Spiral is a book of Saw, right? Okay, I did yeah. see that one. Yeah. I was like, what the hell is book of Saw? I've never heard of that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Jigsaw sucks. It, it's uh, it's too of much. Shit. <laughs> it's just too much you know, retconning and bullshit, and the new characters aren't any good, and it's derivative. It takes the, it takes the opening Saw trap from five and redoes it but they've got buckets on their head and they're in a barn this time like derivative derivative don't go back and do a saw trap again <laughs> unless you're putting it on mm-hmm. jill talk 
at the end of six, but that's the whole, or seven, but that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> that that's a trap with lore. It's okay to do that again. Uh, this is not a trap that has lore, so it didn't work for me. But other um, than Kevin Gruder, this is he's the only one that had anything other than Tobin Bell, obviously. But it's a, all new writers and directors, right? Yeah, yeah. He he was at least you know there to edit, but yeah. yeah. Uh, Jigsaw Jigsaw is easily the worst. It's the only I think bad, genuinely bad movie in the franchise, and yeah, I hated it. I, even the I, like the the final trap I think is lasers. Like what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. And even though no. I'm I'm not as interested in four through seven, I, I don't. They're not bad. I just I, they, my interest is pulled away. But Jigsaw is awful. So, Spiral, the book of Saw. I think the main failing of this is Chris Rock. Not just because I don't like Chris Rock, uh, but also it, it just the Saw movies don't need movie stars. I think movie stars pull focus away from what you need to be focused on, which is. Jigsaw is what Jigsaw, you know, Jigsaw's meaning, his purpose. Uh, I think Chris Rock being in this and Samuel L. Jackson, I think it dilutes the franchise. I think it takes away from from the Saw thing. And it also it's not even really a Saw movie because it's got nothing to do with Jigsaw. It's a guy who adopts Jigsaw's methods in order to tell a story about corrupt police officers, which not a bad idea to take the franchise in a different direction. And maybe they could do this again and do it better. But I really didn't, I didn't, it's not a bad movie. It's not bad. Because, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson's in it, and Samuel L. Jackson in the Saw Trap is you know, clever. Um, <laughs> but it, it's not as good as any of the other Saw movies, and it's only better than Jigsaw, because Jigsaw is the worst. I mean, it's, like you said, it's not a Saw movie. It's just in the Saw universe. I, I thought it was fine. I, I didn't mind it at the time, but... Uh, I did like that it was different. I didn't have to pull all the movies together to, to enjoy this one. I think that's what I preferred about it. Uh, but you're right. It's it, the, Having Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson is a little distracting. And Chris Rock isn't like the greatest actor in the world either. He's not horrible, but he's, he's always Chris Rock. So I just always kind of hear his cadence from his stand-up and even though he's not talking like that in the movie it, it's bothering me that he's not <laughs> so uh it, it's fine i don't hate it i don't love it it just exists yeah yeah i actually i i liked most of it i don't i i like that chris rock liked saw movies enough to come up with his own yeah that's one of the things that I really enjoyed, but I don't think he is the greatest <laughs> when it comes to acting. Um, and I, and I figured out who the killer was <laughs> about halfway through. I mean, it was just so obvious. Right. Um, yeah. The, the, the strong. Like uh, Ebert talks about the economy of characters and yeah, the economy of characters in this one pretty much gives away the game. But I think Jeff has yeah. a good point. I, I like that it exists more than I like it. <laughs> well and if it if it had been you know like a a retcon between chapters kind of movie and at the end you know like tobin bell was there Mm -hmm. i would have that i would have enjoyed much more you know instead of max Minghella, who he's fine as like a romantic lead or a you know on the (laughs) handmaid's tale but i didn't buy him for a second as a killer 
Yeah. So yeah, I can see that. But I, I didn't hate it. Like you know, like Bob said, I didn't hate it. I just it was it was fine. It's not. So I I tried to watch it again a couple years later, and I bought the Blu-ray for like five bucks, and I'm like, oh, I'll watch it again, and I fell asleep. So yeah, I can't imagine <laughs> I'll like it on a second viewing as much as I did the first time. And again, I didn't. This wasn't like I was. I remember when we did it on the podcast, it was fairly favorable show, uh, but especially since Jigsaw was so bad. I, I think I think what works for me about it and the reason I'm able to to like it uh, is that the saw traps are good. I think the tongue trap at the very beginning uh, is, is really you know visceral and terrifying. Uh, the there's a there's a another pretty good uh, uh, barbed wire trap in this one that I that I appreciated. Uh, and you know I do like the deeper meaning about corrupt cops and where where they were coming from in that perspective and using saw. Uh, as a as a vehicle for telling that story is not a bad idea. So overall, I think it's good. I just don't think it is nearly as good as the other Saw movies. No. Uh, but I do think that Daryl Lynn Boozman saves it as a director because I do think he does bring you know that, that Saw franchise style to it that uh, does at least place it in the canon. I do think if you took the movie stars out, though, it could be one of the better Saw movies. Yeah, there's just really not much of a place. I mean, because Saw 1, you do have Carrie Elwes, you do have Danny Glover, uh, but I wouldn't, they're not They're not nearly as big as these two. But I think it, it works there because they're not there to pull focus because no, you don't even know that there's a Saw philosophy yet that, right. that doesn't even exist in the first movie. Going the, the direction that they did with guys like Donnie Wahlberg and Scott Patterson and Costas Mandalore and Betsy Russell... Uh, you know these character actors and making them the the leads in these movies. I thought that was incredibly smart. Angus McFadden, another uh, tremendous choice. They're people who have these recognizable faces, but you don't necessarily know who they are. You don't really know their name unless you look them up. Uh, they work. They're really effective uh, in these roles. Betsy Russell, former podcast guest. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. What next? We're done with Saw, uh, right? That was all. That was all of Saw. Uh, like I said, Saw three is the best. Uh, Saw Saw one right behind. I do love how much you love Saw the Saw series, though. I, you know, I don't want my opinion to <laughs> make it sound like I'm. I. It's not that I disagree. It's just more of a I can't. I I can't get interested because it's not. That's more where my complaint is with four or seven. It's not so much the movies themselves. I just can't get myself. They can't. They don't make me invested. I, I find I find any movie that's able to challenge my my morality this much has to be really good. Uh, I felt this way about the talented Mr. Ripley, where I I was surprised at the end by the talented Mr. Ripley because I was rooting for Matt Damon to get away, and I couldn't believe that a movie could make me do that. With a guy who was, you know, killing essentially innocent people. They were dicks, but they were essentially innocent people. They'd not done any, anything actually wrong, and he's killing them. And I'm rooting for him to get away. That was like a revelation for me as a movie. And then when I when I see the Saw movies and I see what Jigsaw is about and the philosophy that they're building about this idea of taking humanity to its extreme to see how much you want to survive and how that will affect the rest of your life. 
it's a fascinating idea. I don't think that's anything anyone should do, but I don't <laughs> as anything different. Oh, come on. People who want to go take their body to an extreme, like climbing Mount Everest or going to the bottom of the ocean. You want to take your body to its absolute extreme to see what it can do. Well, this is certainly another element of that because these are people who are placed in a situation where they can survive this, but they have to do something that is going to transform them completely in order to do it. And I find that to be a fascinating idea. And the way he's, he's sort of causing these people to self-actualize and improve themselves and atone for their sins all at once and in a horror movie context, I think that's fascinating that somebody was trying to do something that thoughtful and unique in a horror movie. Well, that being said, though, like, I don't think it necessarily helped Amanda because she just took, she had all this rage inside of her and she turned that from drugs into really like undying fealty to John. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and she, she had that underlying rage and hatred of the world that kind of probably drove her to drugs. And now she's kind of, and I think John knows that she's using that to help him, but not necessarily for all the right reasons. Well, there's an interesting thing about that because if you're she might be getting the, off on it, you're following the lore. She's actually like saw to, she, they seem to show her acting against John's will and not following the rules. But we find out later, I think it's in Saw 5, that Hoffman had actually set her up to do that. That she ends up killing the woman in Saw 3 because of something that Hoffman did. Uh, not necessarily because she was filled with rage and was defying Kramer. Uh, because it turns out she was with uh, the man who accidentally killed Jill Tuck's baby. And she oh, didn't want right. John to know that. And Hoffman knew that and was going to tell him. And so she followed Hoffman instead of following Jigsaw. And that's how she ends up dead. So there was an element there where she was actually the true student of Jigsaw, whereas Hoffman was more of a you know selfish, uh, brooding villain. But I think even in this one, the new one, I, I got that underlying rage not necessarily she wasn't always acting on it but she did defy him by uh telling him that she would continue with this but um the anesthesiologist goes next Mm -hmm. and he he was he wanted the uh esmeralda or whatever her name was the the prostitute yeah you know he wanted her to go next but amanda was like no we're doing this and i don't know if you know just like i i get that i definitely get the father daughter um dynamic that they have but i that she just had that underlying rage to me in, in her scenes in the new one i think there's a i think what works here again with this franchise for me is that that it doesn't necessarily work as much as John Kramer's put a lot of thought into all of this. And as much as he believes in, in what he's doing, it doesn't always work. Uh, you know, rig does things that are pretty much, you know, pretty horrible, but he does them for the right reasons, but he's doing essentially set up to do really horrible things. 
Uh, but he's a, essentially a good person. Uh, you've got, you know, obviously Hoffman, I think, is just evil and wants to do evil throughout. Uh, yeah. So I, they're willing to allow that, that his way doesn't necessarily help people or doesn't necessarily work, but it can work. And there's a possibility. And so some people do learn something valuable, and many of them don't and end up dead. <laughs> well, one thing you never find yourself questioning is like the logistics of how he pulled all of it off. You know, and I, I think uh, you have every right to question that, but for whatever reason, the movies never, they keep you invested or confused depending on which one you're in <laughs> and who you are, but you're never sitting there going, well, he's 80. There's no way he could, you know, this doesn't make sense. No point of you doing that, which I think is really impressive with, you know, considering who the big bad guy is. I think four is probably the one that's most responsible for confusing people. Cause there's a time shift in that one that, that places Hoffman in the activities of saw three that you didn't necessarily see him in. And I think that one time tends to throw people off. But uh, aside from four, uh, the rest of her are, are well, are well canonized. Yeah. And I, I think the fact that I know the writers of that movie and they go on to do four through seven, uh, I don't like them. I don't really like anything they've done. <laughs> So I can't not bring that to these movies as much as I try. And watching that Project Greenlight series, they're just not likable guys. I mean, it's just... You're talking about Dunstan and Milton, right? Yes. And the, you, we've talked about the Collector movies on this show way back when. Those are <laughs> fucking garbage. <laughs> They are, they are, but they they often work under Kevin Grudert, and I think Grudert is is really great at this. So I didn't, I don't really notice them very much. Right, like I like I said, I'm bringing you know things I saw in that series and their personality to this, and then being annoyed by what you just said on part four. Now, I mean, some of this is coming back as you re-explain it, but anyway, doesn't mean I'm right. Just explaining my process <laughs> so, I, so i take it i don't know if you'd necessarily get you guys would call yourself saudis then i like three so much though and one i like one was one of the greatest theatrical experiences i've ever had yeah. so because of those two i you know i i don't hate four through seven i just don't care about them uh so i, I would say i am but obviously not like you <laughs> <laughs> I have to, my nickname for soft ads is Saudis after Swifties. Oh, I have too many uh, associations with that name from my hometown <laughs> to go along with that. <laughs> How about Jiggies? Yeah, that's, <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's even a, worse. A good point. <laughs> yeah, let's not try. I think to that's find less it. serious, Jeff. <laughs> Well, you can be a Saudi then. <laughs> you almost were. All right. 1993, we had Airborne and a Bronx Tale. Yeah. Um, we watched Airborne uh, for the podcast and also went back and grabbed Hot Shots Part 2 because we didn't really want to watch Airborne. <laughs> the only movie we couldn't have talked about airborne for an hour so yeah we have hot shots part two which came out earlier in 1993 and uh 
and Airborne. Airborne is terrible, but it's a funny premise about a kid from California who's a laid-back surfer who's got to go to the Midwest and learn how to rollerblade in competition, man. <laughs> There's a very angry Jack Black in the movie for some reason. I don't know why he's so angry, but he's very angry throughout the entire movie. Airborne is terrible. It's it's a terrible movie. Yeah, that's why he was angry. <laughs> Next week is just all things Exorcist. All of them. One, two, three. The remakes. The new remake. The TV show. Not the TV show. We didn't know about it other than Jeff. Maybe Sean did. I didn't. I did. I did. Yeah. No, I totally blocked that out. Yeah, I'm thinking it's from like the 80s, and Jeff's like, no, like five years ago. I was like, I thought when he when he said no, I thought, oh, the nineteen seventies. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, no one knew who Gina nope. Davis was, and that makes sense that she'd be in this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gina. Yeah, I uh, I am going to be out of town all weekend, and hopefully, I'll have Wi Fi in my hotel room because none of the exorcists are showing at the drive-in, so. And can we just like remind people what a weird time it was with the two prequels that got made and released at the same time? <laughs> I was baffled. I forgot about I that. To, were they the yeah. same? Were they the same movie or two different movies? Two pretty different movies. But like one of them, like didn't they get they fire the guy and they started over and then they released it anyway or something like that? Yeah. I, I don't even remember. I it's, it's gonna be. I've hard. watched it's I've watched them both, but I'm gonna tell you right now, this might be a, a saw situation where I kind of lose interest and just say, you know what, fuck the show. Um, <laughs> I'm all for that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love the show. Everything about it, even the shitty movies. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I'm not gonna have to watch the original Exorcist, so because I've seen it probably 30 times um, with and without commentary by William Friedkin, where he just fucking explains what's going on on screen. <laughs> it's like, um, it's like alt text on a photo. It's just like prescriptive um, audio. I'm just like, shut up. Will. sorry. Mm. The only one I'm not going to have to watch is exercise three. Cause I've seen that twice in the last two years, three years. So yeah. Yeah. I'm good. That's a high point. That's a high point in the series, though. <laughs> the director's cut. I, I I'm excited to talk about Exorcist Two: The Heretic because I had a wonderful experience seeing that for the first time, and <laughs> I've not laughed that hard in a very long time. Like I saw Exorcist Two and laughed so hard throughout that movie. <laughs> One of so my funny. absolute favorite lines of any movie ever. Oh, I was possessed by a devil. It's okay. I'm okay now. <laughs> oh, Lord. Wonderful. Yeah. So, the beginning is on Peacock. Great. Wonderful. So there you go. <laughs> well, I, I have the box set, which has got one, two, the regular cut of three, and then the two re- the two prequels, 
And then I have the Scream Factory version of Legion, hmm. which is there's like it's, it's just so great. So Stolen Skarsgård is in both Dominion and Exorcist Beginning. Yeah. So confused. I cannot wait to dig into these now. (laughs) (laughs) I got to tear this apart. If you fall in love with these movies, I'm going to be so pissed. (laughs) I'm going to laugh. I'm going to laugh because he hates Exorcist so much. I don't. It's not about I don't hate it that much. I just don't like it. It's like it's it's like a lesser Mad Max. Honestly, Fury Road. Like I like Fury Road. I just don't like it as much as everybody else does. I, oh, okay. I don't hate The Exorcist. I just don't like it in the way that most people do. And I don't understand why they like it so much. Well, I can tell you a hundred reasons. But... <laughs> Save it for next week. I will. All right. Do you guys have time for Flick Chart or you guys want to go to bed? <laughs> I can see the first one, so I definitely want to do Flick <laughs> Oh, yeah. I I don't have to work till noon tomorrow, and I'm going to stay up and watch Ahsoka, so let's go. Midsummer, Hannibal. Midsummer. Oh, Hannibal. I'm just kidding. Of course <laughs> it's Midsummer. Our number one movie. I don't hate Hannibal the way other people hate Hannibal, though. Yeah, I like Hannibal. Okay, Amelie or not Dr. Strangelove? <laughs> 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 Amelie or Puss in Boots? Amelie. <laughs> Kate and Leopold or Meet the Robinsons downhill fast (laughs) (laughs) really I've never seen Kate and Leopold (laughs) whatever Uh, Meet the Robinsons is pretty good cool Chef Marley and me that's tough I like both of these movies I'm going Chef but I don't I think Marley and me is actually really good Chef yeah. Phantom of the Opera 2004 Maid of Honor. Both are absolute fucking garbage fire movies. Um Phantom of the Opera because I cuz I think actually Maid of Honor is so much worse. <laughs> They're both terrible but like that one's terrible plus like like more terrible. <laughs> I haven't seen either okay. one of these. <laughs> fucking hate it. Fucking hated them. <laughs> Phantom of the Opera because it has Emmy Rossum in it and not Anne Hathaway. Nothing nothing against Anne Hathaway, but I do like Emmy Rossum a lot. Broken Arrow Fist Fight. Broken Arrow. Never seen Fist Fight. Fist Fight was fun. Broken Arrow's terrible, but I get why Sean. Likes Broken Arrow's it. fun bad. Yeah. It's a fun bad movie. Fist Fight just exists. Uh Rio A Knight's Tale. A Knight's Tale. Knight's Tale. The Loved Ones, The Room, 2000. I've never heard of The Loved Ones. Mm-mm. American Hustle, The Room. Wow, that's tough. That is, that's American actually Hustle. hard. I'm going to go American Hustle, but I mean, uh, The Room is such a fun experience. Anytime I've watched it, it's terrible, obviously, but it's the, that's the reason why you watch it is because it's so bad, but it's American Hustle. Now, if American Hustle wasn't so good, you know, if there's a little bit lesser movie, I think I'm. Absolutely. If it was The Room versus Kate and Leopold, I would have picked The Room. <laughs> the Room saw four. <laughs> Excuse me? I'm just saying. <laughs> Who would you pick? I think I might go The Room. Uh, 
as the room versus the Da Vinci Code. Casablanca, the Da Vinci Code. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, Casablanca. Okay, fine. Yes. Casablanca. <laughs> run, Lola, run, lethal weapon. Run, Lola, run. Um, I mean, I'm lethal weapon all day, but that's just because of nostalgia. I like run, Lola, run, but I would probably watch lethal weapon again first. So is that your choice? Uh, run, run, Lola, run. Wind talker is the professional. The professional. The wind talkers is so dull. Last action hero, Zodiac. 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 It's one of my absolute favorites. Absolutely. What is that poster? (laughs) Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master, (laughs) E.T. Oh my God, is that? Eucharist. I'm going Nightmare (laughs) on Elm Street 4. (laughs) Uh, You know what? I am too, but that poster that they're showing for E.T., it looks like Tommy Chong painted it. <laughs> it looks like he's giving communion to somebody. Dude, you want some glowy communion? Yeah. Um. Here's where I reveal that I don't like ET anymore. I just I used to. I think as a kid I liked it, but like trying to watch it as an adult, I just find it I find it tedious. The only thing I like about ET is my sister is still deathly afraid of like any toys or anything. So every year for Christmas we get our ET dolls. <laughs> Well, E.T. was the first movie that made me realize that other people were as affected by movies as I can be. Mm-hmm. I went with my cousins, and my cousin Peggy was bawling her eyes out when they when the guys were coming into the house and stuff. And I was just like, I looked over, and I just kept looking at her more than the movie because I was like, wow, she's really into this movie. It's so, but that that be the right choice. Nightmare on Elm Street fun and i will watch it again and and it has it has the line yo needle di- yo needle dick i bet you're the only man in this school that has penis envy <laughs> spies Sorry, like I just, us I used to st- <laughs> close encounters of the third kind close encounters close encounters spice world three amigos three amigos three amigos Agreed. A View to Kill, Three Men, and a Little Lady. <laughs> a View to a Kill. I won't watch either one. View to a Kill has Grace Jones and Duran Duran. I do like so. it. I, I like Grace Jones only as a meme. Because uh, <laughs> for, for a number of years, like my sister and I would always say, check your back seat for Grace Jones. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll go with you to kill Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, 21. Fantastic Beasts, I guess, by default. Um, God, both problematic people. (laughs) And uh, I don't care. You pick, Bob. I really... (laughs) I'll go with one of the troubling opinion versus the troubling actions. (laughs) (laughs) Dallas Buyers Club Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat. The Edu- movie that I gave Sean because I loved I loved that movie and then he made fun of me for giving it to him. <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow, The Wedding Singer. Edge of Tomorrow. I'll go the oh, Wedding God, Singer. Adam Sandler. 
Tom Cruise. Oh, Edge of Tomorrow, aka Live Die Repeat. <laughs> the Nice Guys, Predators. They're both Predators. good. Nice Guys is better. Yeah. You hear about about the the rumor about Predators was that uh, the character Lawrence Fisher played was actually going to be Danny Glover's character from Predator Two. Huh. He turned it down because he said he was just he's too old for action movies. I thought you were going to say it's a predictable line. Isn't he like the Glad same age didn't. as Larry Fishburne? <laughs> I don't know. I think he's a lot older, isn't he? I would. I thought so, but I'm, I couldn't tell you for sure. Uh, there's another rumor about Predators, about the end. There's, there's an, apparently at one point an ending of Predators that was going to have Arnold Schwarzenegger show up yep. on a on a plane full of Predators, and they were actually working for him now. <laughs> Well, he was a test for for the people that were on this alien planet. He was also, um, wasn't it? uh, Wasn't Sigourney Weaver supposed to be at the end of the Predator? That's I think I think there's something about that because yeah, they're alien. Obviously, alien versus predator is a thing. So yeah. Sorry, I zoned out for a little bit. Uh... (laughs) Dick. (laughs) <laughs> doesn't like hearing about the greatest action franchise of all time <laughs> not even here to defend himself it was the greatest action movie of all time oh, sorry sorry not even the best movie in its own franchise but yeah, nevertheless <laughs> an insane comment uh dark city lion king dark city yeah yeah the help finding neverland Finding Neverland. Uh, I guess Finding Le- They both just... They're both just... I don't know. I mean, I'm never going to watch either one of them again, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're both just so saccharine that... I don't know. Finding Neverland, that's fine. Because it's got better memes. <laughs> the Border, The Bridge on the River Kwai. Bridge on the River Kwai. I have never seen The Border... But bridge on the river Kwai because it's uh, one of my. Whenever we're playing Pictionary, I always say bridging the gap, bridge on the river Kwai, no matter what <laughs> it is, and everybody gets like looks at me like I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> one of these days, though, you're gonna get it. Yep. Step Brothers, Space Cowboys. I can't wait to hear this answer, Sean. Fishing with Gandhi. Oh, show's over. God damn it. <laughs> See you guys next week. See ya. (laughs) See ya.